1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
2: On a gorgeous Monday. Wow. What a beautiful day. So I know you get credit for the good days and... We don't want to vilify you for what's ahead, but Paul and Jordana joining you on a beautiful Monday. Thank you for being here with us.
3: Thank you for being upbeat and optimistic, Jordana. I I appreciate that. I I mean, it's to the point now I I wear a paper bag over my head when I walk (laughs) the dog. I mean, even the neighbors who generally I'm on good terms with, I mean, they're growling and, and, you know, they smile through gritted teeth. And I think Mm -hmm. on some intellectual level they realize i'm not responsible for this but people need somebody to blame right and it's just convenient to blame the messenger
2: well today you would get the accolades my friend because if we just focus on today which i have been getting better and better at these past few years um today is a beautiful day so thank you i I know you're about to piss all
3: over our parade but (laughs) (laughs) at least we could enjoy the moment right now you're being optimistic, yeah. It's 58 out there, and that's above average. Nice to be above average. Normal high now is sure. 55. So I, I did a little research because there is more snow in the forecast. Not so much here that's in the insane. metro. Uh, well, that's yeah, I mean, April increasingly is an insane, insane month. By the way, there could be tornadoes in southeastern Minnesota tomorrow, and obviously Terrifying. we'll keep you up to date right here on CCO. And then the models predict 30 to 40 inches of snow for a big chunk of North Dakota between tomorrow and Thursday. If you're traveling into North Dakota, think twice. It's going to be crazy. I mean, a taste of January on the way. Blizzard conditions. Not here. Far northern Minnesota, a couple of inches of snow, maybe Wednesday, Thursday. Not a huge deal. North Dakota gets the brunt of it. Then the models bring a super-sized clipper in here. Late Sunday, Sunday night, Monday morning of next week. And, again, that's still way out there. That's crazy. But a possibility of some plowable amounts of snow next Sunday. And I just, I look at this and I shake my head. And I'm just as disgusted as everybody oh else. Oh, gosh. And so it was almost a coping skill for me. I went back to 2018, April of 2018, Jorah, when we had 26 inches. The snowiest month of the winter season Came in the spring, came in April of 2018. I thought, okay, what happened after that? Similar pattern, La Nina uh, signal in the Pacific. Again, I, I mentioned it's a little like keeping the freezer door open, and that's what's happening with this cool bias in the Pacific. That's what seems to be uh, throwing the jet stream off kilter and preventing the warm fronts from penetrating farther north. But back at, back in 2018, okay, 26 inches of snow, you were here, you remember? People um, were despondent. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I probably have blocked it out and amnesia. have had PTSD, so I uh, it's it's selective amnesia.
3: Yeah, I don't blame you. So, the end of the month, April 30th, it got up to 84. The last week of May it got nice. up to 100 degrees. May was like 9 degrees warmer than average. My point being, things turned around in a hurry. In 2018, I hope, I pray, the same thing happens this year. All of NOAA's long-range models, the climate models, and there are about eight or nine of them, they all have Minnesota and most of the U.S. considerably warmer than average May, June, July. So wouldn't Mm -hmm. it be nice? You know, usually when the atmosphere swings in one direction too far, it goes in the other direction just as far. So I'm hoping we make up for this with a stinking hot summer.
2: Yes. Bring it. That's what I want to hear. That's and, what I want to hear. And I appreciate that.
3: And, you know, I, speaking of weather, do you know what the uh, the most trustworthy media organization in the United States is? Um, Paul to... Douglas
2: on the on the Paul and Jordana you... show. Sure. I I know what yeah. it is. Is this a trick question, Paul?
3: That That, that way to kiss up. But no, <laughs> but no. <laughs> This is according to a YouGov poll 1500 Americans the most trustworthy media organization I almost fell off my sofa it's the weather channel
2: Really 50... well I mean I guess that would make sense right I mean the most trusted media organization of all media the most like news and everything in,
3: the the way they phrase this most trustworthy media organization Oh, wow. How how trustworthy do you rate the news reported by the following, broadcast, print, or digital? The Weather Channel came in first. 52% of Americans trusted. Uh, then came the BBC. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which, a British news source, and now granted, they're global, but BBC mm-hmm. came second, and then okay. PBS came okay. third. And sense. then the Wall Street Journal, then CBS, mm. then the Associated Press, then NPR, Reuters, the Washington Post, ABC, pretty far down, mm. the N- NBC, the New York Times, not very trusted. Mm. But it, mm-hmm. and, and then at the very bottom, Breitbart and Fox News.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So mm-hmm. I just... Well,
2: glad to see CBS towards the top.
3: Yes, yeah, CBS scored better than ABC and NBC. Right,
2: first network, mm-hmm.
3: So fifteen hundred Americans. I, I guess it's statistically valid, but it, well, it still makes is me shoot my Well, weather is nonpartisan.
2: That's why weather well, is nonpartisan. The people telling you the weather don't have an agenda about the weather, other than to keep you safe from it. So, and they're just telling you what they see. They, de- you know, if a storm comes or not doesn't mean you should vote one way or the other. So I can see why people almost tune into the weather channel when they need a break from all the other crap
3: yeah but I mean talking about climate change if you attempt to connect the dots mm-hmm. that's considered mm-hmm. partisan True. i mean True. which which is crazy, but I think does less the weather so channel do that fi- the weather channel, sure, the weather channel reports mm-hmm. on climate change, but i I know a lot of meteorologists who'd like to talk about it, connect the dots, mm-hmm. focus on the science, oh. and they can't. their news directors yeah. say, don't you're going to turn off twenty thirty percent of our audience. So, OK, anyway. let's
2: take a break from the weather for a minute. Yes, of course, Paul will keep an eye on what is coming our way, which is, again, ridiculous. But I want to talk about these ghost guns. There is um, new legislation now. The Biden administration has unveiled uh, a rule aimed at reining in ghost guns. So what are they and what do gun owners think about that? Uh, Rob Dorr from the Minnesota Gun Caucus and Paul and I will be discussing next. Well done. Hammer is producing today and we're talking about guns and he's leading in with a little Guns N' Roses. So well done, Hammer. (laughs) I appreciate that. And it is not lost on me. (laughs) See? See what he did there? Good job. He's sharp.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I
2: know, right? Uh, So today the Biden administration um, unveiled a rule about ghost guns. Now, if you didn't know what ghost guns are, and I'm not all that familiar with them, they're privately made firearms that don't have serial numbers. Okay? Generally, when you buy a gun, it's manufactured by a big gun manufacturer. The only one I can think of offhand is Smith & Wesson, but I'm sure there's lots more. Um, And they're required to have serial numbers. They're usually displayed on the frame of the gun. All right? Uh, It allows officials to trace back Uh, To the gun manufacturer, the firearms dealer, the original uh, purchaser, obviously if there is a crime or even if it's lost, um, you can get it back to the original owner or you can find out maybe who committed the crime and solve a crime. But now these ghost guns are made of parts and then assembled together and they're sold in do-it-yourself kits. OK, they're made for some 3D printers are printing parts. They're made from metal or polymer. Um, I've never seen one, but apparently, you know, this is a real thing now. So it sounds dangerous to me. It sounds like it's unregulated guns going into the hands of whomever that are non-traceable. So we wanted to talk about it with someone who we consider an expert on um, on on guns and all things uh, gun related. Rob Dorr is is from Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. He's been on the show before, and I really appreciate him coming on and and educating us and having open conversations with us. So, Rob, welcome back to the program.
1: Paul Jordan, a great to be back.
2: All right, first, what do you think about this new rule that the Biden administration is? Um, you know, w- wanting to stop these these ghost gun proliferation.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you, when I when I saw it, it wasn't unexpected. You know, this rule mm-hmm. has been kicking around for about the last year, or so you, we we all saw it coming. Uh, I think. Yeah, you know, as as a matter of policy, I don't see it as being anything particularly effective. Uh, but what what I think is probably most concerning is the ATF is getting into this habit of approving things and then unapproving them. And previously, these types of kits were approved by the ATF, so businesses opened up, they started companies, people invested their livelihoods that you know into starting these businesses based on the ATF's ruling, and now they're kind of arbitrarily yanking the the you know the the businesses away from these people
3: hey rob this is paul thank you for joining us today and i think for many of us just getting up to speed on these ghost guns is uh, Mm -hmm. a bit of a lift and i know there are these kits that you can buy online buy build shoot kits so so basically you can use this kit and assemble a working firearm in as little as half an hour and it 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 just yes. boggles my mind. Is that an exaggeration?
1: Well, yes and no. So the the kits that you buy, they uh, depending on the types of kits that they are, they're allow, it, they allow you to. I, I kind of liken it to it, you can either buy a pizza, you know, from from Domino's that's already made and ready to go, or you can go to Cub and buy a kit that has the the pizza dough, the cheese, the uh, you know, all of that stuff there for you and you can put it all together yourself and some people do that because they want different colors of customization uh you know they maybe they want you know one color on the slide one color on the receiver things like that and they put they're able to put all of them together 30 minutes is probably a bit of a uh, a bit of an optimistic uh, lookout but uh you know the they're able to put using these kits to b- build their own firearms and people have been able to build firearms. Uh, pretty much for forever, as long as we've been a country, people legally been able to manufacture their own firearms at home. The only thing the kit does uh, is just make the pieces a little bit more readily available.
3: Right.
2: And so, and, and no... I just want every. Right. I'm sorry.
3: Go ahead. No, go ahead, George. Go ahead.
2: I just want everybody to know it is legal. Like like Rob said, the, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, um, has. Allowed the use of building your own firearm. That is legal for personal use and if you don't intend to sell it. But if you right. open a business selling guns, you need a federal firearms license. Well, this new rule that the Biden administration is passing set, changes the definition of a firearm that would include now these ghost guns and it would also require parts to be licensed and have a serial number on it. So, Rob, Tell me why this is bad. Tell me why people would not like this. Because from where I'm sitting, I'm like, okay, you know, we have serial numbers on cars, on computers, and things like that. Um, Who would be against this? If you're not going to sell them and you're just using it for, you know, your personal use, who cares?
1: Right, and I and I think the 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 reason is the efficacy of the rule, uh, because like so many gun control laws, the only thing that this is going to impact are the people who are willing to abide by the rules and w- criminals have been filing serial numbers off of firearms for as long as they've they've been around so th- this this adds a hurdle there but that hurdle is again easily cir- uh, circumvented because uh, just just like you order the kit great the kit has a serial number now on it but criminals still can you know file the serial number off and then you know you did mention 3D printing but th- this rule really right. has nothing to do with the 3D printing uh you can 3D print those things right now with still no serial number. This rule really can't affect that because now we're just talking about information, you know, code that's out, out in, in the world already that you really can't ever you know, put that toothpaste back in the tube. So I, I think the reason to be against it is just because it is, it's, it's killing people's lawful businesses. It's eliminating a hobby that people have really enjoyed uh, doing. And you're, you're, even, even, uh, even just the use of these guns, it's a fraction of a percent of the homicides that happen and the recovered firearms. But yet it's a broad sweeping rule that's going to have a tremendous impact on, on a lot of hobbyists and business owners.
2: Wait, but if you can't sell them, how would it affect business? Cause these are illegal to sell. Cause you need a, a federal firearms license to be able to sell. Right. Them, well, the, the, kit, require... the kits
1: right now. So the kits that they're, they're talking about the ones that would be covered under these rules are legal to sell right now. Um, W- uh, without the serial number. Now they would have to go through a federally licensed dealer process uh, in order just to buy the kits.
3: What, do, Rob, what about the background checks, the federal background checks? I mean, h- how does that enter into this equation?
1: So, uh, any time that a license, uh, a serialized fire number, is, uh, firearm is sold in commerce, so like you guys mentioned, for uh, somebody, if you're just building it for yourself, you don't need the serial number. But if you're selling a firearm as part of commerce to another individual, you're required by law to be a licensed dealer. So, if you own a business and your business is buying, solar- firearms, or making firearms and selling them for money, then you have to be a licensed dealer. Licensed dealers have to run background checks on all transfers.
3: Got it. So, okay.
2: how do we solve then the problem of ghost guns? Because these are untraceable guns that were used. I believe the ATF says there were at least 342 murders uh, related uh, to ghost guns last year. Uh, how do we solve this problem? Is this a solvable problem?
1: Well, and, and, and again, I think, you know, the. It, it, is it a problem? Yes. Uh, but I think the question to ask is, is this rule going to solve that that issue? Is there, Are the criminals who are using these ghost guns now going to look at this rule and say, you know, okay? Well, now I can't commit crime anymore, and and I think that's that's where the the logical separation comes. Where now they just the, the, these ghost guns provided an opportunity for them to manufacture or buy firearms. They'll find another mechanism, you know, just just like they have. And there are over eighteen thousand uh, firearm homicides. Uh, Three hundred and forty-two is it's a portion of them, but there's a lot of other ways that criminals are still killing people.
3: Hey, Rob, I have my. Uh concealing carry and and we've talked a lot about the right to defend yourself in this country no argument here my question for you in light of this what is the number one thing in your opinion we could do as a nation to lower the risk of firearms getting into the wrong hands i believe what 99.99 percent of uh gun owners are law-abiding and uh, they use them for self-defense hunting whatever but, again, what, what is the most important thing you think we could do to, uh, to lower the risk of these things getting into the wrong hands?
1: Yeah, so I think you know uh, the, the number one source of suicide or of uh, firearm deaths here in Minnesota, is suicides nationwide. It's about sixty percent in Minnesota. It's about eighty uh, percent, and so for for those, uh, you know, we're talking about mental health resources. I just worked with the uh, NAMI uh, National Alliance of Mental mm-hmm. Illness and the Department of Veterans Affairs on a bill at the Capitol that's aimed at tar- uh, trying to reduce some veteran suicides. Uh, so, I, you know, it's one thing is trying to identify where the problems lie, because as you guys know, there's not one easy solution. But then when you look at the actual firearms crimes, they're overwhelmingly re- uh, committed by re- repeat criminals. And lots of times, just like this mass shooting that just happened in San Diego, I was a person who was, or Sacramento, sorry, um, it was a person who was ineligible to possess firearms, released uh, three years into a 10 year mandatory minimum sentence. And I think we really need to start looking at the types of people who are committing these crimes and targeting our laws around keeping those people who have proven themselves to be a repeat danger to society, keeping them isolated from the law-abiding and the, uh, the good people of the rest of the society.
2: Rob Dor from the Minnesota Gun Caucus, we appreciate you coming on the show and having these discussions with us. Thank you, sir. Thank you,
1: Rob. Anytime. Thank you.
2: Just an update on those stats. Um, I mentioned it in 20, this was a 2020 stat. 325 homicides or attempted homicides um, that were traced by the ATF to ghost guns. Approximately 23,900 suspected ghost guns were reported to the ATF as being recovered by law enforcement from potential crime scenes. I mean, it, it's a lot. 23,000 in one year, Potential. you know, these were the ghost guns that were um, t- you know, seized from crime scenes. So they are being involved in crimes. And I hear what Rob's saying, that this rule isn't going to all of a sudden make criminals go, oh, well, I, uh, there's a rule now, so I won't, I won't change my mind. I, I, I get that. But I, it seems that the rise of this industry of ghost guns, which I understand, according to the ATF, is legal right now, um, is is causing a, a greater problem with gun violence in this country.
3: How do we keep them from getting into the wrong hands, or is that an unsolvable problem?
2: Why do we just not make ghost guns? You know, we have regular guns in this country. We already have a lot of those that are legal. Why do we need these? Why do we need untraceable ones? Why? You know, we have zero gun regulation that is 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 helping the problem at all in this country. It seems like this would be a good place to start. That's just my opinion, but you guys— you guys know where I stand on this one, but um, interesting to learn about it. I just wish we had legislation with teeth, you know. Okay. Oh, my God. We're super late because next up we're going to talk with my nurse practitioner, Jennifer Smith, that conversation we had about insurance and getting things covered by the insurance companies. Oh, my goodness. Does she has stories. Jen is up next. So about two weeks ago, we had a fascinating discussion about insurance and the cost of prescription drugs. And this was brought on when I was hospitalized for my first chemo going leading up to my bone marrow transplant in May. And um, I got a call from my uh, RX company, my prescription company, and they said, okay, your coverage is kicking in, uh, so you'll still owe $989 for one drug per month. And I was like... And it totally threw me. And I was already in treatment. I had to go on the air in about 15 minutes. I totally lost it. And then I went on the air with Paul. And I just, and he said, how are you? And I said, actually, if you want to know. And I just kind of unloaded mm-hmm. on him. You know, I can't believe I just got this call. And I have to pay $1,000 a month for this for this bill, and the team at Mayo was amazing because they were saying okay jordana let 's reach out and get you a grant, but I made too much money, which is a blessing you know to get the grant from the insurance company let let 's go a different way and and with after all the calling from me and mark and and the nurses and the nurse practitioner." Finally, somebody from my insurance company did call back, and you know the result of this. We, we got the drug paid for in full. Thank God. I'm very grateful every day to have great health insurance. Uh, but I was talking to my nurse practitioner, Jennifer Smith. She's my nurse practitioner on the hematology oncology unit. She helped me through my first eight rounds of chemo, and now she was helping me again as I go into chemo before a bone marrow transplant. And she was telling me crazy stories about insurance companies and what they have to go through. And I said, girl, you gotta come on the air and share this with the group. So here she is, Jennifer Smith, nurse practitioner at Mayo Clinic. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Jordana. Hi, Jen.
2: I'm happy to talk to you. Um not in the hospital, so I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yes, absolutely. It is fun to talk to you outside of the hospital in your real world, because we talk about all that all the time. Life yeah. goes on, even with That's the diagnoses. True. So That's true.
2: So, when you saw me going through this whole rigmarole with the insurance company, are you thinking? I I, I want you to tell us how it affects your everyday. Do you spend a good percentage of your time as a nurse practitioner dealing with insurance?
0: Uh, um, Yes and no. So I will say first and foremost, um, it is absolutely my duty, so to speak, of every medication that I am prescribing to you or to other people going through cancer treatment that I need to know at the end of the day, what is the cost of this for you when you check out the hospital? What is the bill that is going to be uh, expected by you? That being said, I am blessed at Mayo Clinic. I do have social workers and case managers, and we have our uh, pharmacy techs, and there's probably a team of five or six people behind the scenes that work with me. But uh, the long and short of it is yes, because I need to make sure are all those wheels turning the way that they're supposed to be. And you have to get the no that before I can go to that next step so um, as we went through with you um, I did not get to your room before the insurance people called you to say, oh yeah actually it's approved yay that's great Because that was an insightful question on your part coming in is I need to make sure when I leave I have these in my hand I'm like you're absolutely correct and we you won't leave until we do Um, Mm -hmm. but the insurance company sometimes denies the drug altogether and that process actually did start for you two weeks before you were admitted, um, mm-hmm. going through the pre mm-hmm. process, which is so that we know, a, is this drug going to be approved by your insurance? Um, that's first and foremost. But then, not only is it approved, which that's that gives us the go-ahead to start that treatment, but then we what we need to know is what's the copay, and that's where it gets tricky. And um, I'm lucky because I do have a team that helps me do this, but. Um, ultimately it comes down to individual insurance companies that say it's this much money and it's different for everyone and it's the co-pays or the i don't even know all the right terminology of it and i'm a nurse practitioner so i don't know how everybody else can navigate through all of these it's, things but i do spend time every day um navigating J- this
3: jennifer this is paul and it, it it's like learning a new language it's like you know trying to figure out portuguese you know in a week and be fluent these arcane uh terms that are being used and and of course the insurance companies want to pay as little money out as possible but it it seems inhumane at a time when somebody is especially threatened with you know a life-threatening illness that they have to worry about the medication that is keeping them alive what advice and the mayo clinic you know 500 pound gorilla you have amazing resources down there, to, and it sounds like to deal with the insurance companies as well. What advice would you have for listeners who may not have the benefit of the Mayo Clinic in their corner? What's some sound advice mm-hmm. in terms of dealing yeah. with these insurance companies who want to pay as little as possible?
0: Exactly. So I my number one thing is to do exactly what I know Mark and Jordana both spent a lot of time doing and have the capacity to do just You know, they can, the health literacy that they have is okay. It's good. You can learn and do it, Mm -hmm. but you have to speak directly to your insurance company and keep getting them to tell you again that no, and then go next to the next person, the next person further down that list to understand the why behind whatever copay that they think it might be. Ultimately that's how yours kept changing on us, like within 24 hours. But, um, unfortunately that is the number one thing it comes back to advocacy for yourself um, as a nurse practitioner i wish that it was i could just say to you you're here you're in my hands i can take care of you and everything that comes with this healthcare care journey um, but i know that that's not true i can support you through all of it for sure um, and try to help you come up with the next step or what do we look at next but every patient unfortunately when you come into a health um, crisis and, uh, and it's not over in a week or a month for some people, um, is finding either yourself or somebody to be the advocate for you and to know and understand your insurance drug coverage. Um, it is definitely a beast. Um, it's something we hear about a lot uh, in the news and everywhere else. Um, but it's not it's not going away. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other side of it is research is out there getting new drugs, which is great. Vanaticlex is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. But at what cost and how do we help support that process?
2: Right, okay. Jen, we have about a minute left and you were telling yeah. me some horror stories about people yeah. who left the hospital knowing they wouldn't be able to afford drugs. Are you able to share any of those on the air anonymously?
0: Well, I mean, I will tell you, it is not uncommon for people to sell their cabin, whether it's been in their family for 75 years or they have land that they've been sitting on to be part of their estate and they sell that in order to, because that's part of their wealth. So your wealth is looked at not just by what's in your bank account, it's what are your ownings. And so it is heartbreaking when you hear families having these conversations or choosing not to, or they'll say, well, I'll buy one week of pills Or there are patients that go home and uh, ration their antifungals because they were so expensive. And so they think, well, if I take one every other day instead of every day, and then the potential catastrophe that comes from that. But, um, yeah, it's people are forced to make difficult decisions sometimes in order to afford their medications, where otherwise you wouldn't think that they would ever have a worry about a financial constraint. And it's heartbreaking.
3: Jennifer, thank you so much. You you are the insurance whisperer, and we appreciate you. <laughs> thank you for taking such good care of Jordana. And, yeah, uh, thank, thank you. It's th- been
0: my, it's been a true you. pleasure, and I appreciate it. Absolutely, you're well, wonderful, we appreciate Jen. You. Thank
3: you, Nurse Practitioner Mayo Clinic, Jennifer Smith. Thank you, Jennifer. Wow, she was an she enormous help to
2: me and a comfort. You know that that we'll get through this. So. Uh, Let's take a quick break. Mark Fry is up with the news of the day next. You have a choice when it comes to your health care. When I'm in town and I have to get treatment locally, I choose Minnesota oncology. I hope that you never hear the words that you have cancer. But when you do, It will be a comfort to you knowing that you don't have to go far away for high-quality care. That's what Minnesota Oncology does for me. Breast, lung, gynecological, colon, blood cancers like mine, they see it all. And if you're diagnosed with cancer, they want you to know that you have a choice. You don't even need a referral to go to Minnesota Oncology they can get they can facilitate a second opinion with any other healthcare organization that's nearby that you may want but if you're looking for care close to home mnoncology.com they have 12 locations in and around the twin cities i usually go downtown i was just up at the maplewood center to get my evoshield shot last week they take care of everything Caring down to a science. That is my friends at Minnesota Oncology. Check them out online, mnoncology.com. It's your care, it's your choice.
3: It's been one year since Dante Wright was killed during a traffic stop. He was 20 years old and he was shot to death on this date one year ago today. Uh, shot accidentally. Uh, Kimberly Potter thought she was using her taser turns out uh, she was using her service revolver and uh, we wanted to check in with uh, with mark fry i know you're covering this story mark welcome back to the show
4: yeah thank you for having me i appreciate being with you once again
3: what are you covering uh, the context one year later with this uh, tragic story
4: so later tonight at five o'clock, we do have a reporter headed out there having uh, Dante Wright. They're calling it the Angelversary. It's a barbecue and candle vigil that they'll have at the site of where Wright was fatally shot last, uh, last year. And, you know, after that, it was my job to go out and cover those protests. And I'm just thinking about how so many stories as journalists and broadcasters just, you know, stick with us. We all have those stories as journalists that stick with us. And this is certainly one that I just I think about probably once a week, just an impact it had on my life and it's just it's interesting to think it's been a year since we've we've all went through that together really here in the twin cities
2: i know we don't have a lot of time but how how did it impact your life how how are you a different reporter today or person
4: well i think just going out to those protests and truly listening about what people were calling for because i did cover a lot of the george floyd protests and the riots that ensued and uh, i i think i became a better listener but i feel like i was just so much more inclined to truly listen last year to sort of what people were talking for just because i had never experienced anything like that i headed into the, the dante wright protest and i was there probably seven of the ten nights and it was just truly an eye-opening experience and that i've gotten to share with people in my life so it's it's been interesting in that way in that regard too
3: mark fry we sure appreciate your input and your perspective hang in there thank you You we'll, too. Be, we'll be right back right after this